Are brides liars or are our customers liars? This is a question that gets tossed around a lot in business circles and I've heard on business and sales podcasts in the past. You know, people saying that customers are liars because they never tell the truth. And it's something that I've heard reflected in the Abuja event space because I run into vendors who insist that brides are liars, that they never tell the truth, they never reveal um, what's at the back of their mind and that you can't trust what it is that brides say. So I'm sure you guys would be happy to hear, uh, for those of you who are in the wedding space, that it's not a challenge that is peculiar to us. So it's not as if brides lie per se and other people do not, but there are people who are involved in other industries as well, whether banking, insurance, or luxury items who think that customers lie because they never seem to be telling the truth and so that's the question that i'd like to address today are customers liars the brides that we deal with are they liars so in a sense some people will say yes they're liars because they don't tell the truth but the way i choose to look at it is that brides are not liars and customers are not liars the average person believes it's a good thing to tell the truth and ordinarily they would like to tell the truth in every single circumstance however we should bear in mind that we are dealing with a commercial context and so money is going to change hands goods and services are supposed to exchange hands there are expectations on both ends So we should be understandable when brides approach us, brides and grooms or their parents, and they're a little bit cagey. So it looks like they can afford it, but they lie that they can't. And that's because they are not trusting, they're cagey, they're protecting themselves because they don't want to be taken to the cleaners. They don't want to be stripped of every single thing that they have. Because there are times that we get into it and we think, okay, they're in a tight spot, you agree to permanent terms, And then as things go along and after the wedding is over, it becomes clear that it wasn't that they really needed the payment terms per se. It's just that they were holding out and they figured they could use the balance to string you along or something like that. So this is normal and it happens in every single industry. People don't want to show their hands. They're not trusting. They're cagey and they want to protect themselves. So it's not going to do you any good if you run around saying brides are liars. So... Um, for my Abuja folks who keep saying brides tell lies you can't trust anything they say don't mind them, they're not serious it's not going to help you if you're running around with that attitude we are better off being professional about this taking the initiative trying to figure out what the problem is and then see how we can solve the problem so if the problem is that they don't trust us and that they're trying to protect themselves then I think the key question is We should be trying to figure out how do we get them to trust us and what can we do to make the provision of our goods and services risk-free. How can I get them to trust me as a wedding photographer? How can they trust you as a wedding planner? And how can you make the provision of your service as a wedding planner or as a videographer? How can you make that risk-free? Because when people are entering into a commercial transaction and it looks like the potential downside is relatively low, then they're less cagey because what do they have to lose? So with that being the central question, 
I'll have to admit that that is more than we can address today on the podcast, especially since I have been naughty the last couple of episodes and I've gone into 20 and maybe even 30 minutes. So I've gone beyond the 10 minutes that um, I usually allocate for the recording of the podcast. So if trust is the issue, then there are lots of ways that we can go about um, bringing some trust into the equation. Now, for those of you who've listened to the last episode and are long-time listeners of the podcast, you remember that uh, folks like Tom Hopkins, in his framework for how to approach a sale, has this idea of sales resistance and sales acceptance. So sales resistance is that early period where you guys are feeding each other out and the bride doesn't quite know you, doesn't quite trust you, Um, same thing with the group the groom and so their guard is up they don't want to be hustled they don't want to be hassled so that's that early stage sales resistance so you have to get rid of sales resistance before you build sales acceptance and that's the stage where you're trying to get them to take the next step to trust you to pay that deposit to do whatever it is that they have to do on their own end to get the ball rolling so for Tom Hopkins if you're looking at this from that perspective then trying to get them to <clears throat> excuse me try to get them to lower their guard and to trust us is a matter of dealing with the sales resistance up front in fact that is what uh, tom hopkins recommends he says that whenever you are with a customer just assume that you have 100% sales resistance from the beginning just assume that this person is guarded and the person doesn't want to let their guard down he says the only time that we shouldn't take that position is when they come to us. So when they come to us, it's not that we're not going to deal with sales resistance, but we'll try and look at figuring out their needs first and then do the um, uh, sales resistance thing later, trying to get them to know us, to like us, to trust us, and all that jazz that we see all the time over the internet. But if we are the ones that are reaching out to them, then we have to start with the assumption that there is no trust involved. And if you listen to um, the last podcast, or maybe two or three uh, episodes back, I spoke about how um, Tom Hopkins suggests that we can use commonality to build trust and then try and show some competence and some commonality. Yes, I think that was on the episode where I was talking about uh, conversation frameworks. That's the last conversation framework that I um, addressed. Now, the idea of commonality is, um, the idea behind it is that people um, prefer to relate to or do business with people that are like them. So it doesn't have to be 100% like them per se, but if you can establish some commonality, then it should help to get the ball rolling, to get things moving much more smoothly. And if I remember correctly, in the podcast episode where I went over the whole commonality thing, I think the example that I gave there was the um, university was the university thing. I mean, that's a real easy thing that we can use to establish commonality. You guys are talking, you're chatting, and then it comes up that, um, um, you know, one of them went to Igbenidion. And you're like, oh, really? You went to Igbenidion? Yeah, I went to Igbenidion too. I was the first set. We graduated in blah, 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 blah. What's the faculty of law like these days? Back then, we only had, you know, three classrooms and no library. So how are things? What about Professor so-and-so? Is Professor still there? 
What about old Buka? Is old Buka still there? What about this hangout in town? Did you guys used to hang out there? You know, all these kinds of questions. So the whole point is you're trying to establish some commonality so that the bride and groom can see that, oh, okay, this dude, this wedding photographer, he's chill, he's all right, he's like us. You know, he's a stand-up guy. We can relax a little bit around him. And then they don't have to be so cagey. But remember, when we're trying to establish commonality, let's not get carried away and then spend two hours talking about all the time we spent together in law school or medical school or um, how that uh, strike in, you know, how that strike in 1995 or whatever, how that six month strike disrupted the school calendar and we didn't have anything to do at home and blah, 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 blah. So if you spend one hour <clears throat> in all these conversations, it might be good and you might gain a friend but that doesn't necessarily mean it's getting you closer to a sale. That doesn't mean that it's getting you closer to them booking you as the wedding photographer or as the wedding planner. So the goal in trying to establish commonality is just to, is just to bring it out, really. So you guys went to the same university. Establish that. You guys are from the same tribe. Establish that. You guys like the same soccer team. Establish that. You and the bride seem to like the same cooking shows on... Um, on a, uh, what's it called? There's that BBC channel. Can't remember what it's called. You and the bride like that. Establish that. Whatever it is that you need to do, establish and move on and drive the process along. Besides, especially with the way I like to do things, there'll be plenty of time for bonding on those issues on the back end. So when you're done with the wedding, those are ways that you're going to be able to carry the relationship um, along and to uh, keep in touch and uh, stuff like that so if you and the bride are into the same kind of cooking show for instance you know after the wedding might not be a bad idea you know to call and say what's up and oh by the way did you catch that rerun where uh, bobby flay uh did a cook-off with chef so 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 and so and then you guys have a nice you know five minute chat or whatever you know it's not a bad way to uh, keep in touch with folks especially in this uh, industry the wedding space it's a personal thing so it's not um it won't be unusual for you to call people up and say what's up and then they start talking personal stuff like that uh, whether it's bobby flay or uh, whether it's uefa or uh, anything so you're the wedding videographer for instance you guys had a good time during the wedding during the after party he looks like a correct guy you still want to hang on to his digits you know so if you call him up once in a while and you remember that he was talking trash about, uh, I don't know, I don't know footballer's name. So let's say he was talking trash about a certain footballer and yeah, the wedding is over. And maybe that footballer wins the golden boot of the year or whatever. You know, you guys can, you can call him up and resume all that um, trash talk that you guys were doing um, around the wedding. So yeah, commonality is a good way to get them to trust you and to drive the relationship forward even after the wedding. And um, so two other things that I spoke of, but that's not just all that Tom, Cop uh, Tom Hopkins has in his framework. So if you would like to, just Google Tom, spelled as pronounced, and then Hopkins, of course, H-O-P-K-I-N-S, and you'll get the full skivvy of uh, all his ideas because he has lots of free stuff um, all over the internet. So just use the Google machine and you'll be fine. So he also talks about how we can uh, try and establish some uh, competency and uh, some credibility and that also moves the process forward and so that's uh, one thing that um, our high-end photographers here in Nigeria do very well so for those who have been published in um, 
the IWPA is it IWPA international photographers blah 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 something so yeah for those of them the high-end photographers who've been published um, on that site or in the magazine is something that they put up on their uh, Instagram you know award winner for IWPA or you know whatever it is if you have something like that and you think it's a good stamp of credibility then yeah bring that up in conversation have it on your social media handles um, those are ways that we can get the brides and the grooms or whoever it is that we're dealing with from their family to let down their guard and then they know that uh, they can trust us now another thing that mr hopkins advocates early in the process is you need to calm people down you need to let them know that it's not do or die that it's not by force if people feel like you need their money like you're really 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 bleeding after their money then they're going to get cagey so he suggests that in the beginning you let them know exactly that okay cool uh thanks for reaching out i want you to know that uh you know it's not by force it doesn't have to be me you know i'd like to be a wedding photographer but it doesn't have to be me i need to ask you guys a couple of questions first to be sure that we're on the same page uh, and that we're a good fit also to be sure that i understand the vision that you guys are working towards um or whatever which whichever way you want to go about it because some people come at the conversation by saying that i need to ask you a couple of questions to determine um, availability i need to be sure that i'm free and to be sure that we're suitable to work with each other but i mean whichever way you like to jazz up the whole competition sorry not competition conversation you have to throw it in there that you know it's not by force you don't have to uh work with me we're just having a chat and just filling each other out and let's see how each other goes so if it's me cool if it's not me no ahala whatever i can do to help you guys i will if i have to make a referral i will but it's not by force um it's not a do or die affair so um pick whichever way that suits your um what i say your personality your verbiage the way that you talk so just pick it and put it out there that is not do or die you know it's not by force not that you should go and say in a very proud way like you know who do you think you are i don't need your money you know but i'm sure you guys catch your drift so those are some of the ways uh, ideas out there that can use to establish uh trust and um if you use the google machines and you search you will find lots of other frameworks that people have for establishing trust with your clients and if you pause the recording right now take a step back to the main menu scroll down you see several episodes that i've made in the past um, on trust especially one that i made last year which was a review of a harvard business uh, review article about um, establishing trust uh, yeah that was something that i did last year so i think i reviewed that um, harvard business review article in three podcast recordings so you can go there have a listen um and you find that there are lots of frameworks there for establishing trust so bottom line is find a framework that you think you understand and that blends with uh the way you see the world and how you like to carry yourself and um it'll be helpful to getting brides and grooms to lower their guard and start talking um freely with you now there's uh another guy old-time marketing guru uh jay abrahams who talks about removing risk in the equation and the example that he gives is um uh, what's it called uh the puppy dog scenario well this is something that works in america mostly the puppy dog scenario where it started working in uh, nigeria now and that's this whole thing of somebody wants to buy a puppy 
So typically, um, dog rearers, they say, you know what, just take this pup, keep it for two days, you know, see how you guys blend. If you think the dog has too much wahala, bring it back. No wahala. Just bring it back. You have your money back. Or, you know, take the dog. You don't even have to give me any money. But if it looks like you guys are blending well, if you look like you like this dog, you know, then you go ahead and you pay the full 75k, you know, for the pup. Sorry, I don't breed dogs. I don't know how much dogs cost. I just came up with that. So if dogs cost, you know, 150 or 300, you know, I'm just making stuff up. So, yeah, that's the puppy dog scenario. And the reason why it works is because it makes the whole thing a risk-free proposition. So, you want a Rottweiler. You want a puppy. You're not sure which kind of puppy. Between you and your wife, you guys have narrowed it down to Rottweiler and maybe Bull Mastiff. You're talking to the people. And it's one of the things that the puppy dog people do. They say, you know what, since you're not sure, take this Bull Mastiff and just, you know, keep it for two days. See how you guys blend. And then... You know, I'll call you, see how it's working out. And if everything is cool, then you just transfer the 150k and the dog is yours. If everything is not, I'll be there at the house 7 a.m. I'll collect the Rottweiler and I'll give you the Bull Mastiff and then let's see how it turns out. So you make it a risk-free proposition. Now, I must admit, I've been thinking for a very long time. How do you include risk-free um, propositions in wedding um, photography? Since that's what I do for a living and I must admit, I haven't come up with any um, ideas for now, or any idea rather that I'm brave enough to execute. But as I hang around other photographers and listen to other shows, if I come up with anything about how people are trying to reduce the risk proposition involved in the business, I will be sure to let you guys know. But um, of course, different ideas apart from this whole deposit thing that some brides and grooms used to hold over our necks and you know what uh yeah we agree 1.5 but i'm only going to pay 750 now then after the wedding i pay the remaining 750 and bloody bloody blah so those are some ideas about how you can get people to lower their guards pretty much so the problem is not that brides are compulsive liars or that any client that you deal with in any other side hustle that you have, the problem is not that they're compulsive liars. The problem is that they don't trust you. You're a stranger. They don't know you. This is a commercial situation. Money is changing hands. Wedding planning, wedding photography, wedding videography, no matter what it is, it's expensive. They just don't want to drop 150k or 500k and then, you know, you just miss and... You know they are lost with no protection so these are some of the things at the back of their mind and they don't want to be taken to the cleaners and so that's the reason why even though the bride and the groom might be peperistotles you know they'll pretend as if uh they don't have anything and they might have the three million the cough up front but because they don't want to give you the impression that or is their father or that they have dangote money you know they'll pretend and do that whole thing of um instead of giving you three let me give one mil now one meal next month and then one meal after the wedding is done so it's a matter of trust and it's about them protecting themselves so how do we get around that let's look for frameworks ways of establishing trust and let's try and see how we can make them dealing with us a risk-free proposition so these are one of the ideas um out there but of course this is not exhaustive on the topic so uh, for any of you who agree or disagree or who have come across different propositions on this whole thing about why customers um, tell lies or seem to be liars 
and reach out send me a message hit me up on the instagram you know dm or you can leave a voice note over here on the app if you're listening to it on the anchor app and then we'll see how we can make that feedback a part of um, future shows and we'll keep riffing on this so that we can all get better at the end of the day so thank you very much guys for listening to the sales for the nigerian wedding industry podcast i'm your host abuja-based event and wedding photographer tarishima ayede again apologizing to you guys because i've gone over the time minute mark this is 20 minutes today i will try and take it back to the 10 minutes that we had been hitting for several weeks up until most recently so thanks guys for listening thanks for your time and attention i'll catch you on the next recording